Ah, konnichiwa, my friends. You are tuned to FixItNow.com Appliance Repair Radio. We are your hosts, Samurai Appliance Repairmen. And Mrs. Samurai. Thank you for joining us for another wild romp into the seedy underworld of home appliances. Got a bit, another exciting episode for you with appliance industry news and some tech tips, or a tech tip, and some uh, listener emails. But first, a word from our sponsors. Fixitnow.com. Samurai Appliance Repairman. Very, very good. Appliance broke? Fix it yourself. Save big bucks. Fixitnow.com. Appliance Repairman. Help thousands of people fix their own appliance. He can help you too. Uh, Fixitnow.com. All right. Welcome back. Well, we'll start off with some industry news. All right. And this one is a refrigerator plant closing. It's an Electrolux plant. It's closing in... Greenville, Michigan, not to be confused with Greenville, South Carolina, Sweden-based Electrolux announced in January, this is back in 2004 now, that it was closing the 1.7 million square foot factory whose 2,800 employees produced 1.6 million refrigerators, that's a whole lot of refrigerators, that's annually. That's a lot of beer. That's a whole lot of beer. A lot of beer coolers came out of this plant here, it's going to be sad to see them go. But they're not closing down permanently because they're moving to... Ah, uh, let me guess. Um, take a guess. Mexico? It... Juarez, Mexico. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. Yep. They made uh, Frigidaire's, uh, refrigerators under the brands of Frigidaire, Kenmore, White, Westinghouse, Gibson, and Kelvinator, and they're moving the whole kit and caboodle to Juarez, Mexico. The Juarez plant will pay assembly line workers about a tenth of the salary that their Greenville counterparts got, and will eventually have 3,000 employees. Well, you know, it's about time we get some Mexican ingenuity into our appliances. That's, that, that's going to put us out of business. I want, I want Mexican ingenuity. <laughs> that's what it is. But, you know, I can just hear it now. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of people saying, oh, they're outsourcing again. They're, all our jobs are going overseas. But, you know, what's the real problem here? When you have a non-competitive work environment, not the workers, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the American worker. I'm talking about an uncompetitive and onerous regulatory environment. Uh, unions, not the least of the problem, are the unions and all of their... their one-way gimme ways and the excessive protections for workers and the make-work uh, contracts that they negotiate with the companies uh, under threat of strike. But then on top of that, then you got the government regulatory burden, OSHA, uh, EPA, and and the F Fair Tra Federal Trade Commission, and all the alphabet soup of the federal bureaucracy, and then the state bureaucracy on top of that. Well, you know, in a global market, which I think is a great thing, it, it free market, global free markets, it, it just points out if you're uncompetitive, people will vote with their feet. And I think that's a great thing because it forces us to reexamine the, the problem. And let's not fall into the trap of focusing on the wrong problem because we're great about doing that in this country, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to, so we're, I can just see a lot of spleen venting over. Um, let's fix the wrong problem, and that's, let's f try to force companies to keep them from being able to send their factories and, and jobs overseas. That's fixing the wrong problem. Let's fix the real problem, and let's allow our, let's allow our uh, workers to negotiate as individuals with their employers. 
without benefit or encumbrance or interference by unions or government bureaucrats. And let's get government and unions out of the way and let people negotiate their own job situation, wage situation, benefit situation, and if, uh, and if and if let the chips fall where they may. Right. Well, I think what a lot of people don't think about is that the consumers are driving all this in a way because they want less expensive refrigerators. They want less expensive everything. Well, and they should be. They should. Right. People should and want that's this. fine. But on the other hand, a lot of people say, oh, but we want to make sure that everybody's safe and that people are paid enough and, and they support the unions. Well, it's just not going to work both ways. You can't have the whole – you can't do it all. You can, you can have a really – you can have an outrageously, ridiculously safe workplace. You can have a union that just coddles the workers with four-hour work days or whatever and, and triple overtime pay. But you're not going to have a reasonably priced product. And here's the other thing. In a free market – I'm talking about a free market, not what we have in this country. Don't fool yourselves. We don't have a free market in this country. We've got all kinds of regulatory interference. In a free market, prices always go down. Why is that? Why is that, Captain Ron? Because of competition. Competition always drives prices down, and it forces productivity to become more efficient. It forces increases in productivity, which drives prices down. So, free markets, unlike what we have here, prices go down. Regulated markets in a mercantilist system like what we have here, and make no mistake about it, what we have in this country, what they have in Europe, what they have in Asia, is very much a mercantilist system, like, system like what they had in Britain. Oh, I was going to say, back in the it, 1700s. not everybody is familiar with what mercantilism is. Well, the whole mercantilist system was, um, was set up where in Britain, 1700s, 1600s, uh, where the big companies in Britain would uh, lobby the monarch, the king, queen, whoever was uh, was the gender in power at the time, to pass all sorts of onerous regulations, which would make it difficult for the smaller competitors to uh, muster an effective uh, market competition against these larger companies. Mm -hmm. So regulation always favors bigger companies. Big government, big companies go hand in hand. Right. Any of you small business owners out there know what we're talking about. Absolutely. It, it just, if, if you go from like us, you know, being a little mom and pop operation, and you start considering, say, adding one employee, well, the, the paperwork burden for adding an employee is amazing. You, you know, figuring all that out, and it really oh. doesn't matter. It, so it's not much harder to hire one person versus hiring a hundred. You know, it, it. Well, you know, and this is tax season, too. I think everybody listening right now, if they're listening uh, at some time prior to April 15th, talk about paperwork burden. I think that rings a resonant chord with a lot of people. Ugh. You take that paperwork burden that you have to do as an individual, and you put you take that to a business. Well, you can just you can just explode that by about ten times. Right. You, you've got a much more complicated tax return to fill out. You've got to pay a professional to do it. It's it's a huge not just the the expense, but the the real expense is in terms of your time limited amount of time and the government's lopping off a portion of your life They're forcing you to report our life out of us it is it's just draining our life out of us and you know what and and so you know electrolux swedish those godless swedes are taking their plant you know sweden of all people you talk about a socialist country and even there, they have good sense. Okay, they're going to leave. They're going to close, shutter their plant there in Greenville, Michigan, and move it to Juarez, Mexico, where they can have a more competitive environment. And you know what? 
I say more power to them. Well, they're not the bad guy here. They're not the bad guy. What are they going to do? Go out of business. Absolutely. If if they can't keep their prices down, people won't buy their stuff. And if they go out of business, who wins then? Right. And what's, oh, you know what? This reminds me, uh, one time, years back, I think I remember I was telling you about this, but there was a paper up in Canada that I read when I was up in Ontario. It was back when I worked at General Mills in my engineering life, prior to uh, taking on the glamour life of appliance repair. Well, I thought you referred to it as a seedy underworld. Ah, yes, seedy under seedy underworld. But I meant that in a good way. Ah, the yeah. good seedy good underworld. Good seedy underworld. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was up in uh, Ontario, and I got a paper there, and it was I don't know Toronto Globe and Mail or whatever they call it. And there was a poll. You know, papers like to publish polls. And they, the poll was, what, what, why do you think businesses exist, or what's the purpose of business? Some question to that effect. Over ninety percent of the people who were who were uh, polled on this question thought that businesses existed to do good. And less than 1% of the people understood that businesses exist to make a profit. And if a business doesn't make a profit, it goes out of business. It's called bankruptcy. And who who, who wins then? Right. No, but, and the, the fallacy is if in a true free market, a business will only make a profit if they are pleasing somebody That's right. or enough people. That's right. Everybody, so everybody in a has... sense, they would have to be doing good. They'd have to be providing something that enough people wanted that they'd make a profit. Free market, free exchange. You have a voluntary buyer and a voluntary seller. Both of these people in, engage in a transaction because it's mutually beneficial. The seller has a product to sell you. You have money to give to the seller in exchange for this product. You've both win. You've both come away. It's a win-win. But there's this whole this whole Marxist ideology has just infused and subtly just contaminated the whole mix and the and everybody's mind. You see it even uh, talked about in schools now. Teachers teaching Marxist ideology and bashing capitalism. And they don't even understand what capitalism is. Right. I mean, it's 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 the most moral system, most moral economic system ever developed. It it allows for you, the individual, to realize your full potential and you're only limited by your own initiative, by your own creativity. You sink or swim by your own wits. And it's not about having the government come in and, and you know, buoy you up and, and give you a helping hand. That's socialism. I don't know. That's, right. it's a, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we're going to keep seeing this happening. The factory jobs are going to keep leaving. Until we finally get it and we finally fix the right problem, which is to... Deregulate, and I mean really deregulate, not just this faux pas, de- this false deregulation uh, that they do. Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, and they call it deregulation, and, then, and it's not real deregulation, and it never works because it's this bastard creation, and, it, and, it's, and it's the worst of all worlds and not the best of none, well, and, and nothing happens. Right, and to wrap this up, because we do have other things to move on to, this is Appliance Repair Radio. Yes, it is. Um, consumers, are, they're a little schizophrenic on this. They insist on low prices by how they shop, mm-hmm. um, yet they vote for politicians who enact all these regulations that force these factories to move overseas or to Mexico, yet they still keep buying the things that are now made in shops where they don't have the safety regulations in that China they supposedly really, really mm-hmm. wanted, right. and that's why they voted. So, you know, it's very inconsistent, and, and people, until they start to understand this, 
people are going to be confused and upset and because people aren't really taught what free market's all about. They 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 believe we live in a free market economy society right. and we don't. And and so the whole debate is muddled over it. And just one last uh, thing on this site, which I thought was kind of cute. The uh, last refrigerator made at this at the Greenville, Michigan plant um, will be donated to a local museum. <laughs> so. <laughs> Ooh, let's all plan our next family vacations to Greenville, Michigan, to see. The, uh, that last Electrolux I mean, I feel bad for the workers. I feel bad for the workers in sure. this situation, for sure. I mean, it's a tough spot to be in. They're the victims. They are, they are the victims here. These, these are, uh, most of these people are good people, uh, hardworking people, but they're, they're in a crappy system. And, and, and they're, they are victims of a crappy system, a crappy regulatory system that we have in this country. So, anyway, that was, uh, that was the big news item for today. All right. This tech tip is on F1 error codes on your range uh, if you have a Maytag, a Mana, Gen Air, or Magic Chef range, gas or electric, doesn't matter, getting an F1 error code. Generally, these fall down, this, this is going to be one of two things. It's going to be your sensor or the keypad. Sensor, if, uh, you can tell it's a sensor by ohming it out. It should be about 1100 ohms at room temperature. Um, there's a uh, some other conditions, if the sensor is out of spec, it's going to be sending a false signal to the clock, the e, which is called the electronic range control. Alphabet soup for that is ERC. The sensor will send a signal to the ERC telling it that the temperature is still too high, even when the, um, when the oven's not running. ERC will say, well, this something's wrong here. We should be at room temperature, and we're not. It's telling me it's 350 degrees or something like that. So it's going to trigger a fault in that case. That's the sensor problem. You can ohm out the sensor, and i got a good article on this. If you go to fixitnow.com, that's our website, fixitnow.com. I don't think we've mentioned our website. You know, I was thinking of that That is so bad. Oh. oh, badass. Bad, oh, smack, smack, kick, boot. But anyway, the, uh, it was a good article. If you go to fixitnow.com and just uh, go in, in the orange box there, just click on um, appliance repair FAQs. And in the oven section, um, one of the um, articles is demystifying oven sensors. And it explains all about how to text, how to test it, what you should be measuring. If you need help using a meter, there's a good article on how to use a meter in the same FAQ page. The other cause for the F1 error code is the keypad. This is the uh, Maytag, um, you know, Amana, Gen Air, Magic Chef, or Maytag brands. If I didn't make that clear, I'm making that clear now. Um, but the uh, the other problem is with, and they use a membrane switch. In the in the pad, and a lot of these, a lot of models use a membrane switch. What it is is, is um, you've got like this glass or um, high impact plastic surface. Then there's a rubber membrane uh, behind it, um, and then then the um, switching matrix behind the membrane. And as you press on these buttons, you know it's all flat. And as you press on these buttons, and they're just demarcated by little lines, um, the rubber membrane can wear through. Well, this can result in a shorting condition. Um, Wear and tear is one cause for this, but not only that. And here's a fun fact to know and tell: a lot of people will take uh, like glass cleaner to clean their um, uh, mm -hmm. range control panel, and they'll spray it right on the range control panel and then wipe it off. The problem with doing that is when you spray it on there, if any of, if any of that ammonia-based cleaner is left on that glass or plastic surface of the touchpad, it will actually. And then when the ovens are used, the heat will will actually absorb that ammonia in there. Well, that ammonia breaks down the rubber membrane, uh, the membrane that I was just describing, resulting in 
a key pressed condition. And oh. so the ERC thinks that there's a key that's always pressed. And, and therefore it, it says, oh, something's wrong, and it gives off an error code. So your two big culprits in an F1, sensor, keypad. A uh, good article on this, if you, go, if you go to the podcast website, podcast.fixitnow.com, um, the description for this show, the little blurb that I write up for each show, will have a link to um, a blog post at a, that I did at my website that w- goes into all of this stuff in excruciating, mind-numbing detail. Uh, everything you, I'm feeling it. Yeah, everything you ever and never wanted to know. So. so back to the cleaners. It's just the ammonia-based, or yeah. do you think other... Uh, well, no, I think uh, if you use things like uh, like a Shackley Basic H mix, that's fine. It's, uh, it's the ammonia-based cleaner. Oh, okay. Something about the ammonia molecule, it gets in there in contact with the type of rubber that they use for the membrane, wow. and it breaks it down. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? That's cool beans, huh? Well, I think Maytag thought, because this tip actually came from our friends at Maytag. All right. So thank you, Maytag. That was it's a very good thing to know, and it's... Uh, some good techie type information for both technicians and the homeowner as well. Okay, and now everyone's favorite part of the show is coming up. Stand by, drum roll. Will your name be next? It could be you. Yes, that's right, folks. It's email time. Listener emails. <laughs> Okay, maybe we need to go to computer-generated uh, sound effects there. Oh, but they're not, they're not nearly as organic as the ones that uh, come well, out of my various orifices. Anyway, oh. our first email tonight is from Gloria. She writes... G-L-O-R-I-A, Gloria! Okay. All right. <laughs> we just bought a used dryer that is the exact Kenmore, like the one that just died. Problem is, when I went to plug it in, the plug does not have three straight prongs like my old dryer Mm. and outlet. It has the bottom prong that looks like the letter L upside down. My question, can I just swap plugs from the old dryer to the newer dryer? Mm. Thanks, Gloria. The bottom L plug prong. (sighs) Yes. Well, so basically the problem is to to put this succinctly and technically for just a moment, if I may. The thingy that she has does not fit the other thingy that she's got. Okay, so I think that's that's so pretty much the problem. Tab A doesn't fit into slot B. Right, right. So, okay, I think that clears it up. Oh, yeah. What's the next one? Oh. No. <laughs> so, so what Gloria's got going on here is um, the, a lot of the old dryer cords were three conductor cords. You had, um, they were all slots, and you had two hot legs, but each one was 120 volts. L1, L2, and then the third one was neutral. Also ground. In the old three-chord configuration, ground and neutral were one and the same. Electrically, ground and neutral are two functionally different, very different things. And this was the whole impetus for the four-chord conductor, to separate ground from neutral. So in the four-chord conductor, you still have L1, L2, your two hot legs that supply um, 120 volts, Together they supply, each one supplies 120, together they supply 240 to the dryer. Um, and then you've got the other two prongs, are, is one is for neutral and the other is for ground. So, uh, and then to jump, to, I'm going to jump back and forth for a comparison contrast. The three-chord conductor, um, ground and neutral were together. So, for example, the cabinet was ground and neutral. Neutral, um, just, to, just, just to explain what that does real quick, 
you know, electricity flows in a circuit. So you, electricity would come in, say, for example, on L1, and um, which is one of the one of the hot legs, come in, go and do some work, and then return on neutral. So the neutral is always your return flow for current. Well, uh, and in the three chord configuration, your chassis, which is also at tied to neutral, was the return flow for current. So when you're touching the like the cabinet of your dryer and the three chord dryer, you're actually touching part of the circuit. And if there was a ground fault that were to come up in your house, um, where the ground was interrupted, you could potentially shock yourself and fires could be started too. So the whole idea with the four chord configuration was to separate neutral from ground and, and so that they can do what they were intended to do. And that is ground is for ground and it's a safety thing and neutral is part of the circuit. It's part of the working circuit where the current returns from the legs from either L1, L2 or both and they return, it returns through neutral. So neutral carries the return current from both L1 and L2. Ground does not do that in the four chord uh, configuration because they're separated. In Gloria's case, let me see her um, page here. So she's um, she has she has the three she has a three prong receptacle, receptacle. Right. and the dryer she's got has the four prong receptacle. Oh, one other point to to mention here is that we were talking about this um, before the episode started. Um, when you buy a dryer, when you buy a new dryer, her, this one she got is used and it already had the cord attached. But when you buy a new dryer, it does not have the dryer cord, which um, you might be interested to know, a dryer cords are called pigtails. So when you buy a dryer, it doesn't have the pigtail, and you, you select the proper pigtail for your configuration. So for example, if your house has the three cord receptacles, you would buy then a three-prong pigtail to, go, to wire onto your dryer. That's why dryers are not sold with the pigtail, and they're sold separately. In Gloria's case, she has a three... Um, one of the three um, slot receptacles, if she wanted to upgrade that receptacle to accommodate her four-prong pigtail, she would have to run new electrical Romex, new cord, from the outlet all the way back to the circuit breaker box. So there's not some kind of little adapter no. that plugs, you can it, you, plug it into. You'd have to actually you do have rewiring. An you could have an adapter, but it would totally defeat the purpose. And it right. wouldn't actually, there's no adapter that I know of, but if there was an adapter that went on the outlet, it would defeat the purpose okay. of, of having a four cord. And right. you're better off, you know, it does the same thing. It's just, you might, you might as well just take off the four cord conduct uh, pigtail and put on three, the um, three cord, All right. put on a three cord pigtail. Now, how do they change the pigtail on a dryer? Ah, great question. <laughs> and there's a great answer. And it was just so off the cuff and natural. It was. It was. That was so spontaneous. And there's a great answer <clears throat> at fixitnow.com. In fact, I've <clears throat> seen at the website pictures with little diagrams and labels and all sorts of handy things. If you go to fixitnow.com and <clears throat> in the orange box... There's the uh, appliance repair FAQ page, and then click that and go into the dryer section of that page that you will click into. One of the articles there is uh, demystifying dryer cords, and it explains all about uh, dryer cord wiring, shows uh, photographs, uh, and explains what each little slot does, what it stands for, what you should measure with a meter in a properly wired outlet. It explains how a properly wired pigtail on the dryer terminal itself how it looks for both a three-cord and a four-cord pigtail on a dryer. So it explains all about that, and easy to do, 
and if you've got the right photographs to do and you know what you're looking at, the difference basically comes down to um, on a uh, three on a three cord pig, uh, pigtail that's wired onto the dryer in the back there at the terminal block. The grounding strap is attached from the um, the terminal, the middle uh, uh, the middle lug on the terminal to the dryer to the um, dryer chassis. Neutral and ground are together on the three cord. On the four cord, that grounding strap is folded back on itself. It does not touch the uh, dryer chassis. Instead, the grounding conductor from the pigtail, which is green by convention, by code, is connected to the the chassis. That grounding conductor goes from the chassis where it's screwed to through the pigtail to the grounding uh, outlet in the in the four, in the properly wired four cord outlet, and then it goes on to your to the ground at your circuit breaker service for your house. So, and again, ground and neutral are isolated the whole way from the dryer all the way back to your circuit breaker box. Wow, it's amazing what you keep in that brain of yours. It's uh, you know I got that and a lot of other things for you, baby. Hey, well, let's wrap this up then. <laughs> All right. We have one last email. Oh, just one more? Yeah. Okay. We should mention, if you want to send your very own email to us and have your name mentioned by us, then you can email us at podcast... At fixitnow.com. That's <clears throat> simple as that. That's podcast at fixitnow.com. All right. Appliance Master, how does a grasshopper know when it is time to upgrade their washer set to the new style front load, and how much more efficient are these new high-tech machines? A grasshopper from Georgia thanks you in advance. Well. Ah, so contemplating getting away from the beastly, monstrous top-loading machines. Right. We've talked about these before, but it's always good we to have. do a quick... Quick overview of what the benefits are for front-load washers so you can decide when it's time. Right. Well, when it's time, that's kind of a difficult question to answer. I would say several things determine when it's time. One would be if your top-loading washer has failed in such a way that it's going to require a major repair that's going to make you consider buying another washer to replace it, even if it's... You know, even if you're considering buying another top-loading washer, but don't do it. Instead, take that opportunity, take that as a sign from above to uh, that it's time to buy a front-loading washer. Right. Anytime you can get away from a top-loading washer, you're doing yourself and everyone else, too, by the way, a, a big favor. I think if you go over its benefits, it'll be obvious to people what how they can save money in the long run, even right. though they are more expensive up front. And I'll, I'm going to do that in, in just one moment. The other thing I want to say, too, is when it's time to upgrade uh, to a, an efficient front-loading washer, if you live on, uh, say you live out in the boonies like we do, and you're on a well and septic system, you definitely, absolutely, hands down, no questions asked, should be on a front-loading washer. Because you're going to use a fraction of the water that a top-loading washer uses. For example, a typical front-loading washer, full cycle, uses about 14 gallons of water. Okay, seems like a lot. Well, how about your typical top-loading washer, full cycle, through, the, through a whole cycle? We're talking comparing apples to apples, normal cycle to normal cycle. It's going to use 56 gallons of water per wash. That's a huge difference. You know, you're talking less than half. You're talking right. a third. Yeah. 
I was just trying to do that math in my head real fast. Yeah, 14 gallons versus for a front loader versus 56 gallons for a top loader. Now, if you're on a well, and if you're, if you're a family of five like we are, and you're doing wash every day, you're going to save so much money. And if you're on a septic tank, too, you're going to save so much money on, on septic service. You're going to save a lot of money on your well pump and the wear and tear on your well if you have low water productivity in your well. In fact, that was a big reason we did that. Uh, seven years ago, we went, we got rid of our top loader, and we went to a front-loading machine. We've never looked back. Never looked back, but the big, big impetus for doing that was, um, in fact, I think our top loader was working fine. It, it was an old uh, Whirlpool mm -hmm. belt-driven machine, a very fine washing machine. It was one of the best uh, top-loading washers that was made. It was a good machine as far as the top loaders go, but we were having problems with our well. Uh, we, we, our well produces about half a gallon of water a minute. That's pretty low productivity. We've got a lot of right. static storage because the well's so deep, six or eight hundred feet deep. Right. There's a lot of static storage, but you can blow through that pretty quick. You get a couple of people taking showers. You start. You start. Uh, you run the dishwasher, run the washing machine. Well, we went to a front-loading washer precisely because of the water-limiting uh, issue that we were having. Right. You wouldn't think of that up here in uh, wet New England, and it's raining, raining like crazy right. outside right now, but. But, uh, but the, still, the people on town water, they pay quite a bit you do, per yeah, gallon. Water's getting more and more expensive. Right. And, and you, you can figure that out for yourself, how much you would save just in water alone if you know right. roughly how many loads you do on average. And it's going to save your, your sewer bill. Costs are, you know, right. sewer, uh, water treatment for sewage is getting more expensive, too. So water's a big, big, huge issue, and it's going to become even bigger as it goes on. Because and because there's not so much water, you don't have to use as much detergent. That's a good That's point. That's not as big a cost, but it's still a lot of people like that. It is a it is a thing to consider, particularly if you have allergies. If you a lot of people are allergic to the to the junk and crap that they put in detergents, and so if you use less of the detergent, there's less of less residue left in your clothes. That you're go that's going to be riding next to your skin all day long. You sweat and it gets li uh, released from your clothes, gets onto right. your skin, gets absorbed in. You start getting rashes. There's less opportunity for that. Right. That's also better for your clothes, not to have the extra detergent, as well as the um, the agitation. The agitator right. is a is the big in a top loading washer. That agitator, if you ever watch it with the lid open, it's just jerking back and forth. Well, that's what it's doing. Imagine it, all the stress on the fibers in the clothes. This is how clothes wear out mm -hmm. in the washing machine: is being jerked back and forth. They're mo being moved back and forth, um, and then they there's little micro tears going on each time you wash them in a Top-loading washer. Front-loading washer, it's all tumble action. Right. It just gently tumbles through the water and then reverses direction to sort of just mix them up a little bit, but it's all very gentle. There's no stress on the fabric, or very little stress anyway. Right. Now, what about, are they more energy efficient with electricity? Oh, hugely, because what, what's the, one of the big mechanical differences between a front-loader and a top-loader, top-loaders have transmissions. And clutches. Mm -hmm. Well, anytime you take mechanical energy from a motor, and you have to make it, you have to route that mechanical energy through a clutch and through a transmission. You're losing a lot of efficiency. Oh, I mean, okay. transmissions and clutches, very clunky, very. I mean, it's just they're they're crude mechanisms, especially the way they're made for washers. They're, it's cheap stamped metal, and they're crude mechanisms that uh, just are not efficient at all. And they gobble up your electricity. Right. So, um, there, whereas a front loader uses a motor that's forward reversing, it's um, AC or DC um, motor, depending on who makes it and the, the the particular design, and it uses a speed controller board to control to vary both the speed and the direction that that motor turns. So there's no need for a transmission. Oh. 
it's all controlled by this uh, electronic control board. Now, we should mention that we've been referring to these as front loaders, but as we spoke about in, I think it was our last episode. Last episode, episode, we talked about the Staber. There is a particular horizontal axis washer. Right, where we made great pains to tripping over ourselves to call them horizontal axis because the Staber, it's just like a front loader. It is a horizontal, and front loaders are horizontal axis machines, except you load it from the top. And you can read more about the Staber at our website. Right. Go to our website and then scroll down to the search box in the sidebar. Put in Staber, you'll pull up several articles that we've uh, yeah. put together on it. So I think those are the those are the biggest uh, benefits of the front loader or horizontal axis machine versus the top loader, which are top loaders are also called vertical axis machines. Right. So you know, if, if you've got a perfectly functioning top loader, you're happy with maybe you know you don't need to go out shopping right away, unless you really you know if you have water issues, things like that, then that might. Um, spur you on to do it sooner rather than later. And again, the, the criteria I would be guided by, if, if you have a current water issue, definitely change now. Um, we did that, and it, was, it, it made a huge difference. We, oh, were, yeah. we were running out of water uh, pretty regularly until we got the front loader. Um, if your top loader, you currently own a top loader, and it's, it's, need, it's in need of some major repair, I would consider that a time a, a, as a sign to go ahead and junk the machine and instead of putting the money into uh, keeping it alive, go ahead and put your money into a good front loader. Yep. Good front loaders, um, real quick, Staber, which we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. I do like the Frigidaire machine. It, I know it's had some bearing problems. Uh, our, our front loader is a Frigidaire. Uh, it's actually Gibson, which is a Frigidaire brand. Um, but we've had it for seven years. It's been a great machine. I like that one a lot. Um, LG makes a good one, Whirlpool Duet, very fine machine. So there's several good options out there right. for front loaders. All right. Well, thank you, Grasshopper from Georgia. And I'm getting sad. Oh, no. I, we're done. Oh, no. You're kidding me. We just got started. I know. It's it's just gone by in a snap, as usual. Well, and that, that wraps up another episode of FixItNow.com Appliance Repair Radio. Um, we really appreciate your downloading this podcast and tuning in and listening. And uh, we appreciate your comments, too. Please email them to us at podcast at fixitnow.com. So until next time, this is Samurai Appliance Repairman. And Mrs. Samurai. Saying. Sayonara. 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 <laughs>